0: Hey, this is the Crystal Knight Show brought to you by Newsweek. And today's guest is Neil Voss. is the deputy executive director of the Florida Rights Restoration Coalition. But first, we have to discuss the Donald Trump announcement.
1: In order to make America great and glorious again, I am tonight announcing my candidacy for president of the United States.
0: Wow. Another Trump run. 2024. Donald Trump just announced that he's running for president again. This will be his third time. Hopefully, he's a loser again because he lost in 2020 and he lost in the 2022 midterm elections. And so he might just be continuing a losing streak. It really wasn't that exciting. It was actually underwhelming. People are tired of Donald Trump. People are tired of hearing him speak, his voice, his rhetoric. But ultimately, the news cycle has been saved because he has not been the president of the United States. I tweeted last night, are we really ready for another two and a half years or two years of all the things that Donald Trump will do? The rallies, the rhetoric, the lies, the bashing of people in his own party who don't stand up for him. I'm excited that mainstream media is pushing back against him. I'm also excited that Fox News is not covering him wall to wall coverage as they have done before, because America is in a different place today than we were a couple of years ago. Donald Trump won't enjoy the same popularity. He will not enjoy the same approval as he did In past time And hopefully if Mike Pence runs for office And if Governor DeSantis decides to run for president Among other GOP leaders The thing about DeSantis though He's untested You know he enjoys popularity in the state of Florida Many people know him across the country But campaigning across the United States is very different Than leading in your respective state And so I akin him to Governor Greg Abbott in Texas, these are wildly popular GOP leaders and they're popular because of the policies that they push in their respective states. But can they mount a formidable presidential campaign where you have to go to states like Iowa or states like Georgia or states like Nebraska and Wisconsin and California and do well among the Republican Climate in those other states. And so that's why, even though I, I do think Ron DeSantis is definitely more popular, he's more polished, he's more savvy, he seems to be more likable. The question is, is he able to have a formidable campaign? Because he's untested. He really faces the same thing that Jeb Bush faced. You know, he was popular, he had a, a, a powerful family, but when you got him out there on the stump and on the trail, He failed. You know, he was supposed to be the GOP nominee and he flopped big time. So the question also becomes what about Mike Pence? He just did this sit down, you know, with the news reporter. He also released a book. He's also pushed back against what Donald Trump did and said around January 6th, he's been silenced. He's been silent for uh, at least over a year. He hasn't really said much. And so the question becomes, is he speaking out now because he's planning to actually run for president? Or is he speaking out so that Donald Trump is weakened, so that Donald Trump is silenced, so that Donald Trump does not have the momentum that he believes that he has And will other GOP leaders align with Mike Pence and others who are anti-Trump? It's time for people to speak up. We need more leaders, not just the Democratic Party, but we need more leaders on the Republican side calling Donald Trump what he is, a liar, a cheat, a fraud, someone who's under investigation in the state of Georgia, in the state of um, New York. We need more leaders speaking up against him, and the more GOP leadership says that they are anti-Donald Trump, the less his rhetoric becomes reality. We're going to take a quick break, but coming up next is Neil Voss. He's the deputy executive director of the Florida Rights Restoration Coalition. We'll be right back. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. On this week's episode, we are speaking with the Deputy Director of the Florida Rights Restoration Coalition, Neil Vos. Welcome to the show, Neil.
1: Hi, Crystal. Thanks so much for having me on the show. It's great to talk to you.
0: We are a little over a week out, you know, after the midterm elections, and so it might be helpful if you can share with listeners what the Florida Rights um, Restoration Coalition is and how you all had an impact during this 2022 midterm election cycle.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Uh, Like you mentioned, yeah, the Florida Rights Restoration Coalition uh, is an organization that's geared around empowering people who have been impacted by the criminal justice system. Folks like myself who have passed felony convictions, people or family members who have been impacted by the system (coughs) through loved ones, people have been arrested. Uh, We know there's about 6 million people in the state of Florida who have been impacted by the system in some way, shape or form. And we work to empower uh, individuals and communities uh, to live better lives and make make for a better community in the process. Um, I think we're best known for the passage of Amendment 4 in 2018 uh, that ended the lifetime ban on voting for people for 1.4 million people with past felony convictions. Uh, It was the largest expansion of democracy in, in America in a generation. Um, and we continue to walk that out and try to fight to live up to the full promise of the passage of Amendment 4. Uh, there remain a lot of barriers uh, to uh, democracy for people with past convictions in Florida. Uh, but we also know that this is a growing constituency, a diverse constituency of people from all over the state. Uh, state and so we saw uh, a lot of uh, folks get out get engaged in, in their communities go vote uh, but we also saw people uh, dealing with a, a broken system uh, a system that led to a lot of confusion and ultimately a lot of anxiety around whether people were eligible to vote or not
0: right okay <laughs> so 4 years later now the now amendment 4 is known across the state of Florida voters are familiar with your organization Voters are familiar with the process that if they have a past conviction that they're eligible to vote. However, there have been news articles and stories all across Florida. I was recently reading as I was preparing to speak with you about um, two voters who were you know, previously convicted um, and they thought that they had their rights restored because they received voter, you know, voter cards in the mail. And they were arrested, and even after they were arrested and released, they still received another voter ID card in the mail. So it's confusing what the Secretary of State's office is doing, what the governor is saying, and what's happening in real life on the ground. So can you break that down for us? How could... How could that happen where people have, you know, gone on to serve their time? They're a returning citizen. They're living their life fully. They receive a voter registration card in the mail. They go to vote. And in one instance, the the gentleman went to the um, supervisor of elections. So he wasn't telling on himself. He was really trying to make sure that, you know, he he absolutely could vote. and, And he was arrested. How does that happen with Amendment 4 four years later?
1: Those are great questions, um, Crystal, because it really puts a human face on what is a broken system, Uh, in, in particular, the verification process on the front end. Uh, I know it might sound technical to some some folks, but my 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 guess is is that your your listeners are here because they want to learn. Um, and and w- what we've seen is 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 a broken system, uh, and, and a system that we actually know how and where to fix it. Um, but but in response to the broken system, we saw an effort to criminalize voting in Florida, and that made a bad system even worse. So suddenly you had people who thought uh, because they got voter ID cards from the government that they were eligible to vote uh suddenly being arrested by the same government who gave them those voter id cards Mm -hmm. and we know that where the where the challenge is is on the front end when you go to register to vote Um, In other states, right, or in other areas of government, right, you can get a a relatively quick verification of your your, uh, kind of status, say, for instance, I'm somebody with a past conviction, Um, a lot of food stamps, SNAP programs are not eligible to me, some are, Um, and so, but if I were to apply for those things, I would be told yes or no relatively quickly. Here, the the individuals are not not being told yes or no right up up front with with clarity and assurance that allows them to move forward, because it it might be the case that there are certain individuals, because certain convictions do uh, not qualify people to to be eligible to vote, that uh, they might not be eligible. But the state should be able to tell them that. And if you can't count on the state to tell you that, who can you count on? that's, That's where we found this this confusing process that, that then led to a lot of confusion and anxiety and fear uh, by people who felt like they were in this kind of maybe category. They, they weren't a yes, they weren't a no, but they were trying to work through it. And unfortunately, uh, what we saw play out this election cycle is, is that many people who fell in the maybe category, they just decided not to take part in the process. And that's a real utter disappointment for some, something as sacred as our voting and our election systems.
0: Absolutely. So let's let's kind of break down that maybe this category of maybe voters, and let's let's back up to 2018. So in 2018, Amendment Four passes in the state. What does that mean by just sheer numbers of people who are now eligible to vote because of this passage?
1: Yeah. So what you saw in 2018 was an um, two-thirds of the public in Florida voted to say, we want to get rid of the lifetime ban on voting that exists for people with felony convictions in Florida. Uh, it impacts about 1.4 million people, kind of the size of New Hampshire, wow. right? So you're yeah. talking about an incredible amount of individuals who have no say in their in their government as of 2018. So the, the amendment passes. It gets... Can- It's enshrined in the constitution in early january like on that day like folks like myself and in all 67 counties across florida people went and registered to vote um we then had a had a process in which the state legislature decided that it was uh their prerogative to write what they called implementing legislation our view at the time was it's self-implementing and we could work through these things through the normal uh process but the legislature decided that they wanted to um interpret um, what, what the voters thought and, and, and write uh, legislation uh, implementing the bill. And in the process, they included a definition for a completed sentence that, that uh, required anyone to pay their fines and fees and court costs. And, and those kind of things. And in the process that took hundreds of thousands of people uh, out of being eligible to being not yet eligible. And now that's a lot of what the work that we do is how do we help individuals who have financial obligations become eligible to vote because we just don't think somebody should have to choose between paying for their health care or their rent or voting that's just not a moral position that we think uh we should we should accept and so we continue to fight to uh, fully tear down those barriers that exist for the the 1.4 million people impacted by amendment 4.
0: wow okay 1.4 million people when you break it down like it's the size of new hampshire that really you know It crystallizes exactly how many people that is in a in a large state like Florida. So move us to 2022. So 1.4 million people in 2018 because of this passage, because of the work that you're doing and have done. And thank you for your service to this cause. But these folks are now eligible. What happens when we're in 2022 and we get to this maybe category? Folks are saying, you know what? It's convoluted. I'm confused. I saw my brother or my sister or a friend or a family member get arrested. I may not vote because I don't want to get rearrested and have to go back into the system or be back on papers or whatever kind of mental anguish that comes with the thought of going back into a criminal justice system for simply trying to exercise my right to vote. What did that do? What, how did that alone impact this election cycle? And if I can just, you know, be, you know, take a point of privilege and say, this sounds like a raggedy system. It sounds like a system where the Secretary of State is saying one thing and, you know, election commissions are doing another. So how can that, op- how can one operate when the systems are not speaking to each other?
1: great question i mean how can how can they operate when the systems aren't speaking to each other i mean what we're seeing is you know, the, the, the punishment for this broken system is being felt by returning citizens, people with past convictions in our state. So it's, it's interesting that it's a third election cycle in a row where returning citizens in Florida, people with past convictions are literally on the front lines of the fight over democracy. Um, and so I think there's some amazing real heroes uh, in, in Florida, people who really believe in, in democracy and self-government and, and our republic and uh, that, that, you know, we just get up every day, right, and, and try and keep pushing the ball forward keep keep making you know making progress wherever we can i mean according to the august uh, 2022 voter file there are 216,000 returning citizens on the voter rolls in florida so a long way to go but there's a lot of people who are exercising their freedom and wanting to have their voices heard in the process. Uh, So to your question around how how we got there is that we, we, we know that the system has been broken for a while as it relates to people with past convictions, um, being uh, put on the voter rolls. This actually transcends Amendment Four. This, uh, pre- this is this is bigger than one governor or one campaign or one one individual. The, there used to be a system that people could get their voting rights restored one person at a time through the clemency board, mm-hmm. and so you had a system that was built around one person checking one person. It was not automated. It was it was, you know, can you have a team of people doing a check on one individual, and and when you add what happened in Amendment 4 to that that system, it's unworkable, mm-hmm. right? You suddenly cannot actually do one person at a time um you and and so we see the system break down on the front end where somebody who might or might not be eligible and and i think one thing that's important uh crystals and and i I love being on podcasts like this because you got audience who we want to know these things right right is that sometimes in this conversation we actually merge two legal standards there's Mm -hmm. a legal standard that exists to manage the voter rolls in our country and here in the state of Florida, right? So that standard says, what, what's the evidence say, right? Do you live on that street? Did you fill out the right driver's license information? Did you have the correct, right? In the, or, or do you have a, a charge that, that precludes you from being able to vote in Florida? Like those kind of things are very basic the preponderance of evidence is, is right in front of you and, and and there's a process in place you can take somebody off the voting roll you give them an opportunity to defend the information right say well wait a minute that's my address actually is correct i should be voting in this precinct and then you stay on the rolls um, in that case that happens all the time all across the country it's it's standard procedure and you take somebody off the rolls we didn't see that we saw people stay on the rolls. And then we we saw people get arrested. And in our system, our constitutional system, the standard to actually prove that somebody committed voter fraud is that you have to prove that they intended to commit fraud. Exactly. And and the standard is beyond a reasonable doubt. It's a constitutional, you know, it's our constitutional rights. It's the things we fight to be a part of. Um, And so that's why you start to see when people do get into courtrooms in this case, cases are getting dismissed. Um, And because it's a higher standard, we're not actually just talking about taking somebody off the rolls. What happened is that people doubled down. They decided to say, for whatever reasons, we're going to arrest people. And now uh, we're realizing that we're in a much deeper conversation. And and in some ways, this, this horrible, horrible situation is forcing people to get educated on the fact that where the problem is system-wise is right there on the front end. And Mm -hmm. we can choose to spend millions of dollars on information technology upgrades and do what other states do, which is to, Figure out how to manage the, this universe of information in a way that you can say yes or no to somebody right on the front end. Or we can spend millions of dollars arresting people with SWAT teams You know, at six o'clock in the morning and creating confusion and fear uh, in, in communities all across the state and spend money on law enforcement and the courts and do that. We think that anyone who is willing to sit down in a room and actually talk about this from the perspective of our elections are sacred, let's protect them, let's do what we can to make sure that people can access democracy, um, that that we can solve this problem.
0: Okay, well, you know, I I thank you for being here and and really breaking this down, because it's a complicated understanding about how these things can continue to happen. And there are two things that you said that really made me Think about additional questions. One was this clemency board, and I looked up the clemency board in the state of Florida, and there are four people that sit on it: Governor DeSantis, the state attorney general, the state chief financial officer, and the commissioner for agriculture and consumer services. Is that standard? My guess is no, but I, I'd like to hear from you because this is the work that you do, but. It, our clemency boards across other states generally made up of those type of officials, meaning they're you know, either elected officials or people who've been appointed by the governor or they're people who are within the judicial system because it seems like um, these are you know four folks who are probably politically aligned and for folks who likely um, have the same ideology about the way clemency should go in the state of Florida. And the question is, is it a just process? And is this something that we've seen other states adopt? Or is it totally different?
1: That's a really good question. You do see different states operate a little bit differently. Some folks have people who are appointed um, and then in other cases, you do have the elected officials themselves uh, sitting sitting on a, a board kind of like what our clemency board is. But, but, but you touched on something super important from our perspective and, and even to understand the movement that, that led to the passage of Amendment 4 that continues to propel kind of this, this goal of empowering people in our community. Um, And it started with the breakdown of the clemency process here in Florida, Uh, because what we have is kind of an age old province, as old as our country, is that you have elected officials, you have politicians deciding who their voters are, Mm -hmm. right, as opposed to everyone being able to participate and then the 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 public getting to determine who elects them right so what we saw actually in the history short history of florida in the last 20 some years was three different governors and i will only say the partisanship just so that to kind of take it off the table a little bit three republican governors One who, you know, restored voting rights for tens of thousands of people, one then who restored voting rights for over 100,000 people um, during his term. And then the next one was hundreds, barely thousands of people during an eight year period. And we saw what you just were talking about. That's not a just system. Mm -hmm. Right. That is a system Mm -hmm. in which individual political actors get to decide who their voters are for whatever reason that they choose. I would even stipulate because I am a believer, like I, we're, we're, we're our, our core issue, what we really drives us is trying to uh, like operate in a space where we see everybody's human dignity.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: even the people who might have done some of the worst things, like how can we see people as people and how can that help society as a whole? I would argue that politicians are in a bad spot. Right. You sit there on that clemency board and then you have to decide, you know, the fate of these individuals. Right. You're not a judge. You're a politician. Right. So the public's going you're to you're, inevitably, even the best person, in my opinion, is going to sit there and think, hey, I, this is going to have a, a, a political. This happens in a political context. So Amendment Four, in part, was like, let's take this out of the hands of politicians, and let's let's make the case that when you're when you're done and you're you know you're done, like once once you, once you've completed your sentence, you can move on with your life and be a, be a, just like anybody else in society. And so we're struggling, fighting, scrapping every day to try and live up to that promise. And and I appreciate what you're saying because I think it runs into conversations about redistricting and all these other areas where we see politicians picking their voters rather than letting the voters be the ones who are the ultimate deciders.
0: Absolutely. And even just on redistricting, we saw where your governor, you know, Governor DeSantis really had an influence in this election cycle because of the way the lines were redrawn and how that actually helped many Republicans in the state win Um, And it it crammed people in, it moved people out. And ultimately, that absolutely has an effect on a person's ability to vote and their um, understanding about where they go to vote. But also, you know, one of the things that you just said was once a person has done their time or served their time, when they're done, they're done. But when they come out and they say, listen, I've done my time, I'm a returning citizen, I'm giving back into my community, now we have this fight, and you touched on this at the beginning of the conversation, with fines and fees. And so it feels like the goalpost moved. It feels like the goalpost has widened. It's It's been, you know, it's something else. It's another hurdle. I've already served my time. I've come out. I'm a, you know, active citizen in my community. Why can't I vote because of these fines and fees? And maybe I've accrued them because I've been incarcerated. Right. Or maybe I've accrued them for a number of different reasons. But what does that have to do with voting? It feels like a poll tax and we got to break that down. What's that about, Neil? What's it about?
1: Yeah, it's so, it's it, it, to, to your point, it really is one of those things about like it, it's a barrier, and it also, there's a, a real conversation that can be had around that, right? So mm-hmm. when we were pushing to pass Amendment 4, one of the things that we, as the activists, folks who have been through, you know, <laughs> the system, but, you know, who are, w- wanted to have our voices heard, who are democracy activists. I always joked, I'm like, it's not a better evangelist for democracy than someone right. who lost the right mm-hmm. to vote and then got it back. Mm-hmm. Right. We were fighting for what we thought was a, a better system. And, and I bring that up because included in that was me, Desmond, many of our leaders crossing the state for years saying that we believe restitution right that, that the, the, the piece that the judge right there's a judge that, that passes the punishment out or right. gives you your consequences or whatever language you want to use they know the totality of your situation and in, in that case if there is restitution involved we think that 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 makes sense that's a part of restoring yourself to the community but that really only impacts about four percent of the people uh in in florida the, the other 90 percent uh really come down to like the cost of doing business with the courts like the minute yeah. you step into the courtroom whether you're innocent or guilty fifty dollar charge for this fund 150 for that fund that's how we fund our system in florida is on those costs and fees and and what uh, to your point many people would say are taxes or like th- that that's the equivalent of And it became a big kind of legal and political science fight over and in in the courts for two years about like, hey, how does all that stuff land? Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, what we saw is after all those conversations, we have a broken system that we can't even track the information that we say we want to track. Right. There's there's no one database. There's no one repository of information that flows together that can say, oh, you've paid all your court costs. You paid your restitution. You paid. Right. So the government's incapable of doing that you know, in an in a efficient manner. And yet it's now starting to say that the individuals have to have an expectation that the system the government can't figure out, the individual needs to figure out. Um, and it's and it's just, it's heartbreaking. I mm-hmm. mean, to see those videos of people being arrested, you know, or hearing the stories of, of, of folks who, you know, they, they owed a couple hundred dollars that they didn't know about, right? And, and, and suddenly they're being arrested. Um, And and in their affidavits, you hear what we heard all across the the, the state in 2020, right? We're taking our buses, you know, and celebrating democracy and, you know, screaming and yelling and hugging and having just the time of our lives. We didn't care where you know how people voted we were out there like having the conversation about whether people can vote and seeing what the amazing consequences when when people are allowed to have their voices heard in the, in the process in 2020 that was not the feeling in 2022 hmm. right suddenly this, this You know, I'm unsure. I'm a maybe. I don't know for sure, for sure. And therefore, uh, I'm not going to get arrested. Because to your point, you've been through the system. You don't want to go back to the system, right? You you know. So,
0: especially over something like voting, something that's simple. um, You know, that's that shouldn't be a crime.
1: Come on, no, that's right. And and it impacts families and impacts communities. You know, when I went to go vote this election cycle, I, I walked in. I saw kids and family members and seniors, and their wheel wheelchair. Everybody kind of doing it together. It's a celebration of kind of self-government and community coming together to say, "Hey, how do we want? To, how do we want to roll for the next two years?" And if you suddenly have a situation where we have a system. With in which there's no political courage mm-hmm. that we've seen mm-hmm. yet for somebody to actually fix the system. Because, Crystal, I think one of the, the things that's important to know is is, is that they're, they're continually people are holding up a, a system that's perfect. Right. Right. It's kind of like, well, mm-hmm. until we get a system that actually can tell somebody that they've got a, a receipt from 1981 in a box or in microfiche in the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office from the 1980s, we're not going to have any system. And, and, and our view is, is like, look at other states, like, look, you know, go, go, go get 10 grad students and a great professor, or go talk to, you know, data, data professionals, we can get to 99.9 or 99 point something percent, and mm-hmm. then, you know, and have an automated system where we're. We're getting people into the system and we're seeing the benefits of of democracy. And I'll shut up after this. And I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to talk to someone I'm passionate about.
0: Oh, no, no, no. We it. love it. <laughs> we love we love to hear it. And I'm I'm sure the listeners are like, this is this is great information because we need to understand how this law has impacted not only, you know, what's happening in the state of florida but as a formerly incarcerated person as a returning citizen it's great to hear a first-hand account on what is really happening on the ground and so you, you talked about how it was impacting this election cycle you had a campaign free the vote and what did what did free the vote do in 2022 as it relates to your ongoing fight, your ongoing effort to get more returning citizens' rights, voting rights, restored?
1: Yeah. So, I, I, again, to jump into the 2022, I, let me jump back to 2020 just real quick. Because sure. In that election cycle where we were working out on our free to vote campaign in 2020, a lot of the conversation was about these fines and fees. Right. And, 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 and we had seen the legislature pass their implementing bill and in the process, taking hundreds, maybe six, seven hundred thousand people out of the voting rolls in, in that moment. Um, we were frustrated, uh, but we were also, we, 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 we get fed on hope, right? So like this whole movement, you, just, you need hope. And so we put a and call out to people and said, help free the vote by tearing down these barriers that exist to voting. And instead of trying to change policy and engaging in the divisiveness of the politics of the fall of 2020, we asked people to donate money pay people's fines and fees directly. Mm. And we got 90,000 donors from all across the country who donated over $30 million to pay for the fines and fees of 40 plus thousand individuals. So it was an unbelievable act of kind of love. From folks across the country who are just like us you know frustrated by the divisiveness the inability to actually have a conversation about important topics for whatever reason and somehow we broke through and said hey give the gift of democracy to somebody you know and it was such a cool like response that that it fuels us right you can see that 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 people deep down really do believe in democracy and 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 folks folks voices being heard so then that springboards us into 2022 Mm -hmm. where we, we saw a different kind of response in, in this, in this season, right? We, instead of us really focusing on the fines and fees, a piece alone, uh, there was a, a, an effort um, made around people who have some of the convictions that you don't get your your votes automatically restored. So people with murder charges and and, and felony sex charges um, showing up on the voting rolls and You know, I think this was an education process, honestly, for a lot of our politicians in in the state, because I think they thought, oh, hey, those folks just aren't eligible, so let's arrest them. Mm -hmm. Well, after you arrest them, then you find out that your own government gave them the voter ID cards, even after they got arrested, right? right? So it's like, hey, if you're going to push responsibility on the returning citizen, and I think that's great. Like, at the end of the day, those of us who fought long and hard to get in this process, we didn't expect it to be beanbag and kumbaya, you know, every single day. Like, self-government's hard. But but you cannot say that the system works. So now we ended up, instead of talking about... Second chance employment or getting people access to better lives, which are good for everybody in the community. We're now talking about people getting arrested. Why are they arrested, right? Like lots of conversations about intent and motive and why would they do that and how, right? And, And suddenly we aren't talking about you know, what the, the power of democracy and the power of getting people plugged in and doing community together. We're now talking about the fear and the confusion and the chilling impact that these kind of things have. And, and it's utterly disappointing, just to be honest with you, mm-hmm. um, like we, we can do so much better. Uh, and so our hope is, is that we can focus on fixing the system in, in, in the upcoming year.
0: OK, OK. Well, yeah. So. Thank you for sharing about, you know, how this fight, it really evolves. That's what it sounds like. It's an evolving thing. When you get through the first hurdle, something else is popping up. And so as you're thinking about 2024, right, because that's we got to start organizing for 2024 right now. What will be, you know, will this, you know, fines and fees continue to be an issue? I would assume yes, but even, you know, with folks having voter ID cards sent to them, but they're not eligible in the education piece, does that become even more important as you move into 2024? Ultimately, what I'm saying is, what can you, what can you say to, to us listeners about where your fight is going? Because we know 2024 will be another big election year.
1: No, that you're, I love that question, um, and and I know from our perspective, we 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 believe in organizing. Uh, we believe in the empowerment of people in local communities, um, and and uh, let, letting folks who have had life experiences, you know, drive the change. You know, the the, the solution is, is typically closest to the pain. Right. Um, so this year we had hundreds of returning citizens in their own communities, you know, guiding. Uh, other individuals in get out the vote efforts. You know, we had voter guides for the clemency board, um, and we were out in the community um, doing GOTV work. In, in you know, nearly half of the counties in the state. Um, so that that like really fuels us uh, because we can see we see what's possible when you can get people plugged in in their own community and they can use their own voice to drive the change. So when, when we look at 2024, we we, uh, we know that we've developed some some techniques that definitely show that when you have returning citizens or people impacted by the system talking to other returning c- citizens or people impacted by the system, that the get up the vote numbers go up. Right, more people participate. And I'm not talking about how folks vote, but I'm talking about just seeing participation numbers go up of returning citizens. And then we also know that when returning citizens get out the vote, that their family members and their loved ones that they do life with that those numbers also go up. So for us, it's it's continuing to keep, you know, focused on one tearing down all the barriers that exist to anyone impacted by amendment four, that it took us almost a day, right? we, 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 we celebrate our 10 year anniversary of FRC a couple months ago. So we're in it for the long haul uh, and we know things don't happen overnight. Uh, but we, but our view is is that we need to tear all those barriers down and uh, we'll do it, like you said, in a super practical way, how to just focus on the individual's real lives, care about them for things more than just their vote, but their lives mm-hmm. and, and try and empower and support uh, this growing constituency and, and take it a step at a time.
0: Great. Well, congrats on your 10 year anniversary. And <laughs> <laughs> Neil, if you can just close us out, let listeners know how they can continue to follow what you're doing and how they can invest in this, this giving the gift of democracy. I love that. I love that. Um, that tag phrase, um, give the gift of democracy. How can people stay engaged with your fight, particularly as we head into the presidential election that's to come?
1: Uh, well, I, I appreciate that. If, if folks are interested in, in digging a little bit more, they can go to our website, which is FloridaRRC.com, FloridaRRC.com. Um, and we have a variety of different campaigns that we're continually running, uh, all with the goal of like the full empowerment of, of people who have been impacted by the system so we can be treated in society like anybody else. Um, So we're running campaigns geared around specific policies like second chance employment, um, tearing down those barriers that exist for people to get hired or to run their own businesses. Uh, Second chance uh, housing is is a real challenge. Um, and, and because you know if you have somebody with a conviction you're 10 times as likely to be homeless as somebody who, who doesn't because of the barriers to uh, housing and, and our and the same is true for democracy like uh, we want a free to free the vote for all individuals and and i will say that what we're looking to do in, in 2023 is to really build out uh, our modification program that actually works through the court system uh, that the courts are actually empowered to modify somebody's sentence they could get rid of it so that somebody can uh, vote and, and, and we're beginning to see some real promise in that as all across the state, we're working with pro bono attorneys and law firms to figure out how to get a system in place that we can get a lot of individuals through that so that they can, they can that their vote can be freed through the court system.
0: That's awesome, Neil. So once you all have a little bit more data, particularly around um, the modification of votes, I'd love to have you back just to share with listeners how that process worked and really The thing that I always hope to get out of these conversations is if listeners can hear what's happening in one, you know, respective state, how they can model that in their own state or model that in another state where they know work needs to be done. So the modification of a conviction or a sentence or whatever the official legal term, that sounds like the next frontier In your fight as you're moving forward. And I would love to have you back just to discuss the impact that that has had as you install, you know, more pro bono lawyers and and have more folks, you know, buy into this into this effort.
1: Well, you just gave me so much encouragement and a tagline. Crystal called to the next frontier. <laughs> I'm going
0: <with> <laughs> Well, you know, I, I'm here to motivate you. You're motivating me and hopefully our <laughs> listeners feel motivated by this conversation and they know that, you know, the thing for me is that returning citizens, I feel like they're a vulnerable population. And when we talk about vulnerable populations in this country, we often talk about senior citizens or children or folks with disabilities, but Returning citizens are, are, are the same. They're, they're a vulnerable population and we have to take special care because these are people who have, you know, for whatever reason, they've been impacted by the criminal justice system. But it doesn't mean when we're talking about voting, when we're talking about access to housing or access to um, a job that people can feel good about. That's something that has to be realized and actualized by every American. And we have to do our our job and our work. And hopefully this conversation is moving that conversation forward so that people um, in organizations like FRRC can continue to be amplified about the work that you're doing because it doesn't have to be a secret. This is, you know, positive things that are moving our communities forward all across this country. And so I'm excited to talk with folks like you and to bring organizations onto the show because these are the conversations that the media, uh, mainstream media, they're not having because it's not necessarily the sexiest thing when we're talking about expanding access, lowering the barriers for people to vote. Um, And so with so much election denialism in this country, with so many people really trying to make it harder. Um, I saw folks, you know, even saying after the election, no more mail-in voting, you know, no more, you know, voting should just be one day. And when we talk about a whole generation of people, 1.4 million voters having their rights restored, everyone should be talking about this.
1: Well, I appreciate what you just said there a a whole lot. Um, That that warms my heart. Um, and, And you're right. I think that, it, it, from just on a personal note for me, right? It's like, this is now the, the second kind of election cycle where um, we find ourselves forced to have a conversation through kind of a partisan or, or even a di- naturally divisive lens, right? And I get it. The campaigns are about differences and you got to like draw them out. And it, and it's, it's, it's it, you know, you're living in the gray, but, you know, there are moments where you're like, man, can we have this conversation in like seven months, you know, or like six months where we're literally... Because what we found with Amendment 4, Desmond and I used to laugh. We were like, man, 20 minutes and a cup of coffee, and you you get anybody for Amendment 4 because you start to see that it's like, oh, wait a minute, this is good for my community? Like, you don't even have to care about returning citizens, but if you want a safer community, then you want people to be able to reintegrate in the community. You you want to stop any of these things from happening in the first place. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's like, I'm grateful for this kind of platform where where you can actually kind of get past kind of the natural, and I'm I'm not an expert, but I get it. Like people got to sell magazines and they got to sell stuff, right? Get eyeballs on it. But I love this platform, Crystal. So thank you so much for just allowing us to have a real conversation about, you know, all aspects of it.
0: Absolutely. And thank you for stopping by and we will honor our commitment and have you back once, you know, the, the legislation and the modification, Of sentencing has happened um, You know over some time So thank you so much for taking the time To speak with me today And hopefully listeners are walking away With a greater understanding About what the Florida Rights Restoration Coalition does And they're empowered to go out And be helpful to returning citizens As they attempt to vote
1: That's awesome, thank you
0: I hope you enjoyed this episode Of the Crystal Night Show Brought to you by Newsweek the best way you can support us is to give your five star review on Apple iTunes and be sure to check out our diverse lineup of over 12 different podcasts and radio programs at newsweek.com forward slash podcast. I'm Crystal Knight. Thank you for listening. And be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcast to The Crystal Knight Show. Look around.